whether Old Church, pre-Reformation, manages ritual better than church today in more modern or contemporary settings. What's she going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Kane in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I'm Greg. This is the eighth Walk the Earth episode. Walk the Earth as a podcast can be found at www.inappropriateconversations.org. It also can be found on Stitcher at www.stitcher.com. It's part of the feed with inappropriate conversations there, so if you wanted to listen to the Walk the Earth podcast on Stitcher, just look for Inappropriate Conversations. You'll find the two shows intermingled. I want to start today's show not by looking directly at this particular question, but by looking back at Walk the Earth 7 for just a moment. In Walk the Earth 7, a discussion of whether there's one right way to conduct a ritual like communion, that was recorded on the weekend before Christmas, meaning that that show was recorded before Christmas Eve, even though I released it on the day after Christmas. This means that my experience of Christmas Eve with a church that we've been visiting wasn't part of the conversation, because I wasn't aware of how they would handle a Christmas Eve service. As I've mentioned before, in fact, mentioned right at the end of that seventh episode of Walk the Earth, we've been visiting a Disciples of Christ church that's between buildings. They've moved out of the building that they were in, in a downtown part of a big city. They didn't really have the uh, membership to support a church of their size. And they have not yet decided exactly how they're going to proceed with building a new building elsewhere. But in the midst of worshiping with them wherever they may be meeting, whether in a shrine temple or whether in some other community center, Christmas Eve this year was the first time we've been able to worship with this congregation in a church. In an arrangement with another church from another denomination, in fact, they were able to celebrate Christmas Eve in, in a sanctuary. In fact, this is two years in a row that they've done that, although this for me is still the first year that I've encountered this particular congregation. I bring it up here as a reference back to Walk the Earth 7, because of an interesting thing that happened with their ritual on Christmas Eve. Now first, I'm used to a Christmas Eve service being all about candlelights and a dark sanctuary and uh, each person holding their own candle and singing Silent Night. I'm not used to having communion served at a Christmas Eve service. But this congregation takes communion every time they get together. So I was not completely unaware that there was probably going to be communion served at this particular Christmas Eve service. But somewhere along the way, a church that doesn't have its own building in use, using another church's building, and moving you know a couple of counties around in terms of the distance, so traveling 25 miles maybe, 20 miles at least, from the pastor's home to the church office, and then another 20 miles up to the church where they were you know, kind of borrowing the sanctuary on this particular Christmas Eve, a mix-up occurred, and they didn't have the bread for communion. So instead of taking communion with bread and grape juice, which has been pretty much the trend lately when we visited this church, they chose to serve communion the best way they could, and that was by taking advantage of some of the cookies that had been brought as fellowship 
refreshments after the service was over. So I took communion on Christmas Eve, maybe for the first time ever, and definitely for the first time ever, I took communion with gingerbread cookie and grape juice because there was no bread available for the service. This ties in with what I've been saying all along, and especially in the most recent episode of Walk the Earth. I'd rather be associated with a church that would take communion any way it possibly could with whatever it had available than a church that refused to remember the Lord Jesus because they didn't have exactly the right elements to do it with. That feeling like the elements are important is a mistake. It's particularism. But being willing to take communion as best you can in whatever circumstances you're in, well, that makes perfect sense to me. But it's an example of this difference between what I would call new church versus old church. And if you draw a line about 600 years ago at the Protestant Reformation and talk about things that are pre-Reformation versus post-Reformation, or what I've heard some people in the church describe as the difference between high church and, well, they don't usually give you the other term, but I'm assuming it's the difference between high church and low church. And if we decide not to view that expression as a criticism, if we decide not to look at the words low church as some sort of insult, in fact, if we talk about it in terms of its humility, as being worthy of incredibly great praise, then low church takes communion with gingerbread cookies if that's all you got. And high church probably doesn't. So when we talk about high church, we're talking about Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy primarily. You could make an argument that there's an element of high church to be found in some forms of Lutheranism, because that's really where the crossroads is between pre-Reformation and post-Reformation. There's elements of the Lutheran Church. There's more than one denomination called Lutheran. There's elements of the Lutheran Church that are very, very close to Catholicism, especially in terms of the modes and forms of worship. And then there are those that are pretty far away. My experience growing up in the church was as United Methodist. United Methodist is an offspring of the Church of England, of Episcopal Church. And the Church of England is a direct break with Roman Catholicism. So for some people who worship in non-denominational churches, they are many, many generations away from what we might call high church. That you can't just trace the path from Catholicism to Church of England to Methodism the way I can. For them, the journey might be from Catholicism to Lutheranism to some sort of form of Anabaptist to some sort of American Baptist. Yeah, it's a fairly long journey to get back there. But I don't think the denomination is really where I want to draw the line. Because we visited a Lutheran church a couple of weeks ago, wanting to see how they might handle this period of time around Christmas, either the last Sunday of Advent or the Christmas tide Sunday right after Advent, just to kind of take that in. And I intentionally chose to go to their earlier worship service, which was their, I guess the word we might use for it today is their traditional worship service. And the first thing I noticed in comparison between the church we'd been worshiping at, which doesn't use a bulletin, it puts things that the congregation needs to know on a screen using a projector, things like the words to hymns and so forth. But this church uses a bulletin fairly large in terms of being legal-sized paper folded in two in terms of the dimensions of the paper, and 13 or 14 pages long with a great deal of, of readings and uh, response, call and response, 
of singing, which I'm totally comfortable with. I was not prepared, though, for how many times the pastor would be singing to us. Some of it almost in a Gregorian chant kind of a style. Let us pray to the Lord, Lord have mercy, things of that nature. And trying to follow along was, to me, very distracting. I won't dispute that some people might find it absolutely comforting. But to me, it was more distracting than I expected. See, I'm not inexperienced when it comes to high church. On this church search, we visited an Episcopal church that is very, perhaps, liberal, if you looked at them from the political spectrum, but very formal in terms of the way they conduct their worship service, and particularly in the way they serve communion. And I was spent many years of my life going both to a Catholic church and a Methodist church on an almost weekly basis. So I have seen a fair amount of what you might call this pre-Reformation idea of how to handle church. All the same, I think I'm going to have to give an I don't know to this question. If called upon to make some claim about which one's better or preferable, I think the word better for me is a problem. And I'm going to avoid the question. I'm going to dodge it. And I might have answered maybe to one of the earlier questions we've covered on Walk the Earth. I don't really know whether I've made up my mind if Sunday school is a small group that I miss as much as a small group meeting in my home. I kind of you know, didn't really give a strong affirmative answer, either yes or no to that. But this one's going to be even less affirmative. I don't know the answer, and part of it is that my search has not taken me to places that my church search would need to take me. When we started this a few weeks in, I not only made a list of churches that I intended to visit, I also made a list of topics that I thought I would encounter, some of which I'd already encountered really from the very first time we stepped into the doors of a different church than the one we'd worshipped at all those years, but some of them I was anticipating. I thought at some point this search would lead us to going to worship with either friends or strangers at an Eastern Orthodox church of some sort. I didn't have a preference for Russian Orthodox or Greek Orthodox. I didn't really know. But I thought maybe that would come along. And Roman Catholicism, if somebody had said, hey, you should spend this Sunday with us in a Catholic church, I certainly would have gone. But one of the things that would stop me from being serious about any commitment to a Catholic church in particular is that I'm very unlikely to join somebody in a long-term commitment to worship together if I'm unwelcome to take communion with them. You see, I've got a different mindset than most people do about it. I was baptized in a Roman Catholic church. I was christened, as the saying goes. So I am, to one degree or another, somewhat part of that tradition in the infant-to-parent sort of relationship. Now, long before I got to the what we call the age of First Communion or the age of Confirmation, I had switched and have attended Protestant churches the rest of my life. But it's not like I'm a stranger to the ritual. But I do know, beyond any doubt, and it's been made clear on more than one occasion, that I am not welcome at that table. Well, why would I join a Christian church if communion was off limits to me? So we hadn't really taken seriously the idea of saying, this church needs to include Catholicism. Our church hunt didn't need to include that. There wasn't new information I was going to be gathering in that way. But Eastern Orthodoxy, a yeah, thought crossed my mind. That might be something I hadn't seen before. So I think on one level, if you soften the use of the term better and just talk about that old style of pre-Reformation worship delivering something 
distinctly different and in many ways very interesting than anything I've encountered before? I think the answer to that one would probably be yes. And if somebody offered the opportunity for me to attend a Palm Sunday or some other Lenten you know, ceremony in an Eastern Orthodox Church, I would still be very tempted. Because I think there is something in that ritual that you just don't get anywhere else. But it's important to note the difference between wanting on special occasions, perhaps even rare occasions, to see and experience worship in a different way. Well, that's one thing. Wanting to worship that way every Sunday, well, that's quite a different thing. I need to be involved in what many people would willfully and perhaps even scornfully call low church. I need to be welcome in a congregation where it's okay for me to ask to speak and raise somebody's name by name in prayer. I need to be in a church where it's okay for somebody who isn't the pastor to get up and offer a word of witness. All the things that have come previously and walked the earth, I think give you a pretty good indication of on a week-in, week-out basis, what kind of church I'm looking for. And it certainly isn't this pre-Reformation style. I'm not the kind of person who wants to worship in fear. Whether that's worshiping in fear of getting the ritual wrong, or worshiping in fear because I still have a rules-based paradigm that a patriarchal society has handed down to me. If anything, my opinion on gender is really pretty clear. And that is the one thing that has more or less kept us away from visiting those other types of churches, because this is a serious search. I intend to find another church home. My wife feels even more strongly about it. And for that reason, it almost feels like a wasted Sunday. If you go to worship in a place you know you're not welcome, or if you go to worship in a place where you know you would never become a member, because I'm not going to become a member of a church that marginalizes women. I'm not going to become a member of a church that finds itself on the wrong side of, of very clear social justice situations. I'm going to get to that question here in a couple of months. But to me, part of it is, I need it, for it to be okay for me to be in ministry with people that a lot of churches want nothing to do with. And again, how many Sundays am I going to spend taking in the experience of worshiping with people where I, I know I could that I couldn't be a member, either because I reject the worldview as being unbiblical because it's more committed to tradition than to scripture itself, or more to the point, I wouldn't be welcome anyway. That it's a mutual understanding that that we just don't share that much in common with each other. So rather than getting a chance to really personally explore a true pre-Reformation ritualized worship service, I'm going to bypass that opportunity and continue moving down the path that I'm on. Because all along I've said, waiting for the Holy Spirit to put me on a particular path. I'm waiting to see or to get that sense that this is a home that I could continue worshiping in. Well, a little more than a week ago, I expressed my opinion on what I wanted to see from ritual and used some specific examples about communion. And lo and behold, we happened to be spending Christmas Eve worshiping with a congregation who, from my perspective, gets it. They understand. They're not suffering under the illusion of particularism. And, you know, if that's only one sign, then I'll look for more. I'm not going to, you know, not going to commit immediately to the first indication of anything. But there have been enough indications to tell me that I need to be moving in the direction of a church that has figured out how to put together 
traditional, and contemporary elements into a single service. There's a reason for that. When we were sitting in that very traditional church service with that Lutheran congregation, it struck me that this was a congregation that we've enjoyed spending time with. It's a church that I can't imagine saying to myself, I'm never going to worship there again. One of the questions I'm sure I'll get to at some point is whether you have to commit to just one church. Or if you do commit to just one church, does that mean that you can't worship in another one? The church that we left, I was such a faithful contributor to that church that I never worshipped anywhere else to speak of, unless we were traveling, or I was called to be in another congregation for a retreat or something. And part of the reason was that I always had obligations. There were things that were required of me on a regular basis. In some cases, it felt like it was almost every Sunday. There was some reason why I had to be there. And therefore, we never had any reason to say, hey, I wonder what this new church that opened up four blocks down the road is like. It wasn't a question I could consider seriously because there was no way I was ever going to be able to afford to go visiting somewhere else. That's a mistake I intend to correct. It's not a situation I want to be in again because the situation in the church we've left didn't prove to be very healthy. So I'm sitting in this congregation where the Lutheran church has divided itself very rigidly into this very traditional form of worship where really all you needed was a bench to kneel on and the occasional kneeling and you could lose sight of the fact that you weren't in a Catholic church versus their later service at that same church with a praise band and a very contemporary feel, a very loose family feel to it. And I connected more obviously with the later form of worship than I did with this semi-high church experience that we had. But while I was sitting there, I was struck by something that I haven't yet really addressed directly on inappropriate conversations, but that I've spoken to a little bit in blog posts at the website at inappropriateconversations.org, that there's this notion that separate but equal is always bad. And really, when you hear those words, separate but equal, most Americans that know their history immediately think of Supreme Court case Plessy versus Ferguson, which established that separate versus equal school for the majority population that was Caucasian versus the minority population, particularly blacks in the South, was perfectly legal and perfectly acceptable. And we've learned through historical experience that that's just not the case, that the problem with separate but equal is that it's never really equal. And the drive to make things separate is a drive to produce inequality. So the later Supreme Court case, Brown versus Board of Education, you know, sought to correct that. And I would say that as a society, we still can't claim we're there yet. But at least the principle of Brown versus Board of Education, of integrating things, was a move in the right direction, in the sense of saying that a fully integrated, united society is always going to be stronger than one that is separate but equal. So let me trace this backwards a little bit and help explain why I feel the way I do, and what element this pre-Reformation style of worship plays in the decision-making. I'll try it at least to circle back to the original question. But the church that we ended up worshiping with on Christmas Eve has gone from a shrine temple to an exercise facility, a community center, and their first worship service in their new place was this past Sunday, at least at the time I'm recording, the past Sunday. And I really felt like they came close to getting perfect the style that I'd seen them demonstrate, having visited for five or six times, you know, give or take, 
over the last four months, three or four months. So having gone to this church maybe more than any other church, especially here lately, I kind of grew to have a sense of what it was they were going to do. Now, they don't have a bulletin, which I still think is a good thing. But I can't look backward on past church bulletins and make references to the way they've blended elements of traditional worship and elements of contemporary worship into one seamless service. But this service that I just experienced included the the very traditional uh, Simple Gifts song. It's a gift to be simple, along with Just a Closer Walk with Thee, but also praise songs, including Here I Come to Worship, which may be one of the more famous praise worship songs. The choir sang something that was truly classical, which is very typical. And other elements of the worship involved the congregational participation, the pastor. I mentioned that sermon in some ways can mean conversation. And at one point in the sermon, the pastor was asking questions and getting feedback directly from the congregation. They had found a way to create, in a brand new place for the very first time, a pretty seamless worship service that incorporated all of these elements of what we might call high and low church. They had produced the Brown versus Board of Education example of taking down the idea of separate from but equal and making a truly integrated worship experience. That was a far cry from our visits to the Lutheran Church, where one of the worship services, very formal, uh, almost a throwback to 60, 70 years ago, and in some ways, throwback to 500 years ago, versus the praise service, the more contemporary service that we'd visited two or three times as well, with you know the band and, and all that, where it was much more consistent with what I'm comfortable with, with what I'm looking for, to be honest with you. But it struck me that no matter how you slice it, that particular congregation had found peace in the way they're worshiping by remaining separate at all costs. This is not a criticism. I can't imagine how those two elephants could be combined well in a Lutheran church as easily as they could be in a United Methodist congregation or in a Disciples of Christ congregation. But all the same, I was sitting there with this vibe of, wow, I'm sitting here experiencing firsthand separate but equal. And not separate but equal as a problem, but separate but equal as perhaps a solution. It was working. There's no vibe in that congregation that makes me feel like, wow, I, I don't want to be a part of this. I'm uncomfortable. It feels like there's, there's a, a war going on. I didn't feel that at all. Now compare that to some words shared with me by one of the people who had joined the church we left pretty late in our experience there. And I asked her once, I actually asked her in a meeting because it came up in conversation in the context of a church meeting, what her impression was when she first came to the church. Because she seemed like a wise woman, you know, who understood kind of what was going on, didn't, didn't have any trouble ascertaining kind of that there was something not right. And I was curious to ask her the first question so I could follow up with the second question. Why did you join us anyway? Because she gave the answer I kind of thought she would, that even as a visitor the first couple of times joining that church, she could tell that there was a lot of anger, a lot of animosity. She might have even used the word hate, that people were metaphorically at each other's throats. And the biggest problem that church had was differences of opinion over the right way to worship. Now, I don't want to make Walk the Earth a constant weekly criticism of the church we left, and 
if it feels like I'm trying to offer justifications for leaving, believe me, I'm not. I'm very much at ease with the decisions that we've made. But one of the biggest problems we had were civil wars over how we were going to worship. And people did some spectacularly unworshipful things, some unchristian things, in their desire to destroy the other way of worshiping. I saw it, to be honest with you, more from the perspective of people who were trying to prevent any sort of contemporary elements in worship. They were opposed to witnessing. They were opposed to songs that were written in the last 50 years. They preferred much older songs than that. They certainly didn't want any musical instruments that weren't piano or organ involved. So you had a lot of that negativity where the old church group was very opposed to the new church group. The high church lowering itself over the low church. And this is, of course, the United Methodist congregation where... There's no such thing as high church per se. I mean, the most formal, traditional version of worship would, by Eastern Orthodox standards or Roman Catholic standards, still be, well, just terribly, terribly Protestant, right? But this was a group where the differences between the two modes of worship were really, in my mind, not all that great. I attended both worship services for several years because I enjoyed elements of both of them. Would have loved to have seen them blend well. But they weren't blending well. The reason I go there and tell this is because, to me, the Lutheran Church, with its separate but equal approach, was a big improvement over the civil war we left behind. And what this tells me, not just on this particular issue of church and modes of worship, but on other social issues too, sometimes separate but equal is a necessary step toward full integration. That sometimes you've got to stop the civil war and divide things up and send the combatants off to their individual corners and get them out of fighting mode, and in the church anyway, back into a worshipful mode so that they will quiet down, still their spirits enough to hear the Holy Spirit tell them that the fighting that they had been doing was wrong. It was unholy. It was anything but sacred. And the turf that they were trying to defend certainly was not sacred ground. Now, I didn't leave that church without trying to share this perspective. My decision to leave was after I had exhausted all avenues and all resources. And in fact, maybe as I get near the end of this particular question on Walk the Earth, let me share a little bit of some words that I shared with them in a meeting when we were arguing over what was the right way and what was the wrong way or what was the best way and what was the worst way. And all of these terms, better, for example, which is the term in the question that I'm looking at today that I'm really rebelling against because I've got a negative reaction to this qualitative sort of approach to something where if you're worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth, there is no bad way of doing it. But I use the words of C.S. Lewis in an effort to speak some wisdom to a congregation that historically, and certainly on the day that I spoke in this meeting, had always tremendous amount of respect for C.S. Lewis. So I knew that if they weren't going to listen to me, they might listen to that particular theologian, because he had always been spoken of in very respectful and perhaps even reverential terms. I will jump to the end briefly and tell you that these words fell on deaf ears which convinced me that there were no words I could speak 
if people weren't listening to the Bible, and if they weren't listening to C.S. Lewis, and they weren't listening to me, and they weren't listening to their pastor, well, then you kind of knew the writing was on the wall. But in the interest of full disclosure, here is the quote from the preface to Mere Christianity that I shared, trying to call Lewis's perspective to the attention of a church that desperately needed to hear such words of wisdom. Here's Lewis. I hope no reader will suppose that mere Christianity is here put forward as an alternative to the creeds of the existing communions, as if a man could adopt it in preference to Congregationalism or Greek Orthodoxy or anything else. It's more like a hall out of which doors open in several rooms. If I can bring anyone into that hall, I should have done what I have attempted. But it is in the rooms, not in the hall, that there are fires and chairs and meals. The hall is a place to wait in, a place from which to try the various doors, not a place to live in. For that purpose, the worst of the rooms, whichever that may be, is, I think, preferable. It is true that some people may find that they have to wait in the hall for a considerable time, while others feel almost at once which door they must knock at. But you must regard it as waiting, not as camping. You must keep on praying for light, and of course, even in the hall, you must begin trying to obey the rules which are common to the whole house. And above all, you must be asking which door is the true one. Not which pleases you best by its painting and paneling. In plain language, the question should never be, do I like that kind of service? But are the doctrines true? Is holiness there? Does my conscience move me toward this? Is my reluctance to knock at this door due to my pride, or even my mere taste, or my personal dislike of this particular doorkeeper? When you have reached your own room, be kind to those who have chosen different doors, and to those who are still in the hall. If they are wrong, they need your prayers all the more. And if they are your enemies, then you are under orders to pray for them. That is one of the rules common to the whole house. C.S. Lewis, from the preface to Mere Christianity. For that reason, I'm going to choose not to answer the question whether Old Church or Pre-Reformation Church manages ritual better than church today in more modern or contemporary settings. I'm not going to refuse to answer it because I don't have an answer, but I'm afraid my answer is that I prefer the more modern and contemporary could be what Lewis is warning me about. It could be just a preference for the painting or the paneling. And I don't think I've done the legwork of truly visiting enough of the old pre-Reformation congregations to be able to make a strong opinion either way. I'm going to show the humility to stick with the answer, I don't know. And if pushed, I would probably challenge whether the question that I've chosen to answer is appropriate. If I've made a mistake, it's not in not answering this one. It's that it was probably the wrong you know, mindset to raise it in the first place. I'll only offer that I chose to raise it in the first place because I have experience with pre-Reformation churches, and I have every reason to think that I could have learned something valuable by visiting those churches. But I cannot claim that I'm the only person who's going on this walk. If I'm walking the earth, I'm certainly walking the earth with my wife, and in some, in some cases with my kids. I need to have an ear for their direction. We have visited churches that both my children independently have recommended. Different churches, different experiences. 
I have gone to churches or chosen not to go to churches because my wife felt strongly that this was not the direction we should move in. But when I talk about the fact that I'm not walking this earth alone and that I need to be respectful of the ideas of others, I'm really not talking about my immediate family, who are nevertheless joining me. I'm talking about listening for the will of God and following the Holy Spirit and going where that leads me. And if my purpose in visiting a Catholic church or an Orthodox church this particular time of year was nothing more than an intellectual exercise, then it would have been a mistake to go. It would have been what C.S. Lewis might call the equivalent of trying to live in the hall, trying to camp out. If I walk into each one of these doors in this great house he's described, I need to be going in those doors well and truly and genuinely as a guest, and not merely as a spectator. Transcendent God, I am aware of the fact that I have made a mistake in this walk. I've been looking for answers to questions, but I haven't done a good enough job of analyzing the quality of those questions. If my intent to visit churches from my childhood was not a genuine attempt to find a new church home, then it was probably a mistake, Lord, to explore that avenue. Give me better ears to hear what your will is for me. Give me the eyes to see if you've placed me where you want me to go, and I just need to recognize it, that perhaps, Lord, I'm already there. My commitment, Jesus, is to continue to think through the things which put me on this walk, and to answer the questions that have already been set before me. But first I will vet better each one of them to make sure that there is no sin of pride that is leading me to continue to speak through things where the answers are perhaps too obvious. But I also will not stop asking questions. Lord, you've placed that spirit in my heart. You have told me that it's better to say things that make people uncomfortable and to ask questions that some people think should never be asked than it is to simply silently abide, and not respond to the prodding of your spirit. So, as I continue on the path that I'm on now, and explore further, and make a decision as to whether or not I'm going to look back at this particular day and say, hey, that that search was over a long time ago. I praise you for that if it's true. But I also praise you, Lord, for calling to my attention where I'm looking when you no longer want me to be, raising questions that don't need to have an answer. But also, I'm going to continue to take very seriously the path that you've set before me, the journey that I've been on, and the journey that I'm going on, without fear of whether or not the decisions that I'm making are inconsistent with what we've always done around here. If I'm breaking with the tradition of my family, whether that tradition goes back to my infancy, or even more recently, the denomination I've been a part of for more than three decades now. Lord, I trust you to guide me on this path and to help me see which questions are truly worth answering and which questions don't need an answer at all. Again, Lord, forgive me for missing the obvious. Help me to see better and help me to use that vision to ask better questions and to trust you for better answers. Amen.
What happened this morning, man, I agree, it was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. You shouldn't talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. Next on Walk the Earth, whether we can call a church a home if children must know their place within its walls. Thanks for listening.